Welcome to Those Two Mums. We are your hosts, Rochelle and Maddie. We are just two regular girls winging our way through parenthood, our relationship, and life in general. Each week, we will be bringing you conversations that we feel just aren't spoken about enough, including IVF, pregnancy, parenthood, relationships, as well as shedding some light on the LGBTQ community. We will be the ones to normalize those tough and awkward topics, and we hope that our conversations help you to feel seen, heard, and more understood. No fussing. Let's get into it. Hello, Maddie. Hi, Rochelle. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Mind my voice just for the intro. Our house has been struck with the dreaded daycare sickness, so yay for all of us. I am lost my voice and I'm coughing up a lung, and Maddie's got conjunctivitis, so it's <laughs> really... We've got one person coughing more than speaking. I'm running around with my eyes half shut. So <laughs> it's been fun. And Big Mac's not doing so great either. She's got a combo of both. But anyway, moving forward, today's episode, we interview Dr. Rob McLeod. He is a pediatric fellow and co-founder of pediatric allergen company TasteBubs. So exposing kids to common food allergens can be a really scary territory for any parent, grandparent, carer alike. So today, Dr. Rob helps us navigate how to introduce top allergen foods to kids, why it is so important to introduce them early and things to look out for during the introduction phase. We will get into our success disasters first, like we do every week. I'm going to go first with mine because Maddie said before we started recording, I'm really scared that you are going to say my success. So I'm going to jump right in and say mine just (laughs) in case. I'll start with my disaster. It's only a temporary disaster, okay, but right now it feels like a catastrophic disaster in my head. So we recently have sold our unit and that means, yay, that's exciting, but that also means we actually don't have anywhere to live soon. So we haven't found another place to live. So in my head, this is a huge disaster because I'm just having all these thoughts of where the hell are we going to live come settlement day. And I'm stressed guys, because the real estate market is not crash hot. People aren't selling their houses. I'm just over here being optimistic because one of us has to stay level headed, but we have a long settlement and I'm feeling very optimistic that something will pop up in the next two months. That's how much we have to buy another home. And I'm feeling optimistic we're going to get it. So Rochelle, I'm picking up your marbles. I'm putting them back in your bag (laughs) and we will be okay. (laughs) Look, I bloody hope so. As I said, it's only a temporary disaster because we will be in a house eventually. I I am aware of that. But right now, the doom is setting in and I feel like there is no end in sight because you keep refreshing real estate, Maddie, and there is no houses coming up on the market. Every agent in, in this area has their name on their database Everyone's just cleaning the house, getting ready for the photos. That's what's happening. So that's why it's quiet. Everyone's cleaning. (laughs) They bloody better be. Anyway, disaster. But only a temporary disaster. Moving on to my success. This is more of like a hack, but I'm going to claim it as a huge success as well. Macklin loves sushi. We all love sushi in this household. Mm. But... She's only one, and so whenever we take her, we get her her favorite little avocado rice rolls, and she always either chokes on the seaweed or she just can't bite through it. She's only got a couple of little teeth and her gums can't, you know, whatever. The other day we found out, and if none of you know this, you are so welcome, the other day we found out that you can order sushi without the seaweed. 
and it has been an absolute game changer. It's literally a little ball of rice with some avocado in the middle, no seaweed, no choking hazard. Macklin's, oh, it. The face, oh. I wish we had a recording of our faces when the Japanese waitress was like, yeah, no, you can have no seaweed. And we both looked at each other to say like, it is a Christmas miracle. Like fucking Dar, of course you can do whatever you want. They can make it without seaweed, I'm sure. But it just never crossed our mind. We were just always wrangling, worried that she was going to choke. So success. That was, that's actually a good success. That's a really good success, actually. And helpful to so many people out there. <laughs> For those of you who are parents with little kids, you know, seaweed, la la la. Or for those of you who just don't like seaweed, order it without. There you go. Put that in your sushi diary. Moving on to mine. So I didn't feel like pizza the other night. But when we sold our home, the Italian wanted pizza to celebrate. So I went along and said, okay, we'll get pizza. Because if an Italian is hungry and she wants pizza, you don't mess with it. Especially when you have a tiny little Italian that comes with it. So (laughs) off we went to get some pizza. I started getting keen because I was actually really hungry by this time. And... When the pizza came out, there was no cheese on it. Disaster. (laughs) The pizza without cheese is an absolute crime. I'm not sure. I think... That's like a house without walls. (laughs) Useless. (laughs) You're cold. The breeze is coming in. Everyone's chilly. There's no blankets to keep you warm. Looks dumb. (laughs) Feels dumb. (laughs) Look, I just... I don't know. I was... Gene up for this pizza. I'm like, okay, I don't really feel like this because I think we had a pizza like two days ago before that or something. But long story short, I had no cheese and I felt very sad about it. And I'm think I'm still quietly recovering from it. So disaster. Mm. I don't even want to talk about it. It's still I have salty. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I have actually two disasters. Oh, I'm at the end of my annual leave, which means I'm back to work tomorrow, and I feel very sad about it because our household has spent it sick the last ten days. So to spend your last week of annual leave. <coughs> coughing to each other instead of talking to each other <laughs> <laughs> is not the best way to spend it look we are happier and healthier than we were a week ago so it's not overall a disaster it's a bit of a success there because we are coming out the other side so can you combine the two words for me <laughs> <laughs> you just spit on the microphone Probably. is that all that happened can you wipe it <laughs> moving on it's kind of ironic because you jumped in the gun because you said you didn't want to have the same one as me. Mm. So you robbed me. But your disaster is actually my success. So oh. Story of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Opposites attract. <laughs> <laughs> so selling our home is an absolute success because I am sick and tired of looking at our unit windows, watching our neighbors mow their lawns, and I can't wait to get a lawnmower for Christmas and be mowing my grass and just admiring it on my back porch. So, success. <laughs> we both can't wait to be in a house, but right now it's doom in my head, excitement in Maddie's. Let's get into today's episode. Unfortunately, because when we did record this, Mac was really sick, so you won't get to hear the dulcet tones of Maddie's beautiful voice and banter in this one. But me and Dr. Rob McLeod have a good time. We teach you all about pediatric allergens, and it is such a freaking good episode. So we hope you all enjoy and have a good week, guys. Love you. Bye. Yes, hello, just me again, letting you know to listen out. There is a discount code through the episode if you want to get your hands on one of Dr. Rob and Dr. Marion's pediatric allergen starter kits. Let's get into the show. 
Hello, Dr. Rob McLeod. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You've just got me today. Maddie is off doing other mum duties, but we really, really appreciate your time. So as all of our guests, we ask our success disasters. So I will get you straight into it. What are your success disasters of your week? Awesome. Well, I'll start by saying thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm also without my partner in crime, Dr. Miriam. She's my co-founder at Taste Bubs. Um, so apologies, she can't be here today. She's in her clinic and has a full day on a Saturday. We totally understand. Getting right into it with our successes. Um, and, uh, this has been a big one for us. So, you know, when we started Taste Bubs, which we'll talk lots about in the next couple of minutes, but, um, you know, we started it so that we could make it easier for parents to introduce the common allergens. But, you know, a vision of Dr. Merriam and, and mine was to, to run a trial so that we could contribute to allergy research. Um, and this week we've been put in touch with the right people and we're looking towards funding and help with research. And we're just on the sort of cusp of starting a trial with our product, which is such a big success for us. You know, it's not great for the business and it doesn't help us sell boxes, <laughs> but as two doctors, it means so much to us. Absolutely. That is amazing. The disaster that we had this week is my two daughters do swimming lessons on a Saturday morning and the youngest one who's just turned two, I'm still in the pool with her and she starts at 730 and it was a freezing cold morning this morning and we got to the pool and the heater broke last night. So the water was cold at 730 in the morning. No. And that was an absolute disaster. You know, my little one's lips were chattering, as were the rest of the classes. I came out freezing. We both stood in the shower for like an hour afterwards. <laughs> I am so waiting for that day when they can just be in the pool on their own and you don't have to get into the pool with them anymore. Totally, totally. It is. I love swimming lessons and, you know, our little one-year-old goes as well, but I totally feel you the other week, the exact same thing happened to us. And I'm like, I can't even handle this, let alone these little little kids are just... <laughs> and the poor teacher, look, instructors, you know, they still had the whole day. It's just back-to-back kids swimming lessons all day. They would be ice cold. Frozen. Absolutely. <laughs> I totally get it. That is a big disaster. We will get into chatting with you now, Dr. Rob. As you mentioned, you've started an incredible company with Dr. Mariam um, called Taste Bubs, where you have designed a pediatric allergen starter pack, which for any parent, you don't even have to be a first-time parent, like it really lowers the the mental fatigue of having to try and navigate that whole world of allergens as well. So this allergen starter pack is essentially single sachets of the seven most common allergens in a pured powder form, including things like peanuts, eggs, all the big ticket stuff that you know, comes to mind when you think of common allergens, which parents are able to mix into their baby's food. And this assists with early introduction and possible identification of allergens in young babies, which is incredible. And I cannot do the introduction as much justice as you probably will. This is your baby. So can you tell us a little bit about um, yourself initially, what you do for work, and then a bit about taste bubs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it is our baby. And and so yes, I'm a practicing doctor. Um, I'm what's called a pediatric fellow. So I'm at the end of my six year general pediatric specializing. And I work with my co-founder at Taste Bubs is, is Dr. Miriam Challen, and she's a general practitioner. But we're also both parents. I've got two, two daughters, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and she has twin three-year-old boys. And we've been friends for a, a really long time. And, you know, we're well aware of, you know, 
allergies in Australia and, and, you know, that Australia has the, you know, the highest rates of food allergy in the world. And every day we see children with food allergies. But as parents ourselves, we found it really difficult to introduce the common allergens, even though we know what the clinical guidelines are, even though we know about all the studies and the importance of introducing the common allergens early to reduce the risk of lifelong food allergies. And, you know, we were just hanging out one weekend in Miriam's kitchen and we thought, you know, we could really, you know, help ourselves as parents, but also help our patients and make it a lot easier for parents around Australia and hopefully around the world by creating a solution to make it easier than ever to introduce the common food allergens. So we developed taste bubs, but we're two doctors that have never ventured outside of medicine. And so it took us about two years to develop the product and think of the name and, you know, find manufacturers and box suppliers and packagers and that it's really been our baby for the last two years. So, you know, by day I'm a pediatric fellow and, and she's a general practitioner, but by night and weekends and nap times where we, you know, we've been working away on, on this taste bubs. Um, and it's, it's been out there since June and it's as simple as you say, you know, it's just a, a once a day sachet that parents can easily mix through any and all baby foods and, and not only know that they're, you know, able to give these foods, um, you know, without the risk of choking and, and, you know, make it take away all the guesswork associated with introducing the common allergens, you know, parents can also feel pretty assured that they're reducing their child's risk of lifelong food allergies. Yeah, amazing. Honestly, when we had Mac when she was little and we were starting that solids journey, we kind of had no idea about the solids journey in general, but we did have, you know, like a kind of check in with the pediatrician and she just really quickly mentioned like, got to introduce the allergens as soon as you start solids, it'll reduce their risk of, you know, developing severe allergies later in life. Like she really quickly touched over it. And and I really intently listened to a lot of things, but Maddie was kind of just like, whoa, what just happened? Like, what did she say? What are we meant to do? Do we not give her egg? Do we give her egg? So it's really cool that you guys are trained medical professionals putting and parents putting out this incredible knowledge and making it so simple for parents. So I would like to thank you on behalf of all the parents out there. <laughs> no, it's our, our pleasure. And, you know, like we know as parents that there's enough worries uh, as, as being a part of being a parent and working parents and, you know, anything you can do to help take away the guesswork, take away some of that worries you know, you know, we just hope that it's it's beneficial for parents from that regard. And you mentioned that Australia has the highest rate of food allergies in the world. Can you kind of explain how and why it is so bad here in Australia? Look, it's it's bad in Australia, but it's it's bad in a lot of countries. You know, my accent is Canadian and it's horrible in Canada. You know, food allergies are terrible in the United States and in all throughout Europe. Um, and we're even seeing rates of food allergy skyrocket in, in countries like China. And, you know, there's there's lots of theories um, but, you know, a nice recent time point to, you know, help explain the rise in food allergies, it's actually because of doctors just like me back in the, the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, where, you know, for a long time, food allergy wasn't a big deal, but it existed. You know, groups of, of, of doctors came up with allergy guidelines that, you know, recommended pregnant mothers not eat the common allergens and newborn babies, uh, you know, babies that are starting solids delay the introduction of the allergens and early on until they recommended over three years. And then it was, you know, reduced after after 12 months of age. And as a result of that, rates of food allergies around the world skyrocketed. And, and it wasn't until the early 2000s that a group of doctors from the United Kingdom looked to countries like Israel, where 
there's almost no peanut allergy whatsoever, like a tenth of the rate of peanut allergy of Australia. And what they came to learn from observational data is that in Israel, infants as young as four months regularly consume a peanut snack, like multiple times per week as soon as they're starting solids. And you know, they, they sort of suspected that, you know, maybe it's a genetic thing. So they looked at, you know, age match Jewish children in the United Kingdom, and they found that they had a 10 times higher rate of peanut allergy. And then they thought, well, maybe it's because these children in Israel are eating so much peanuts. So they did a trial where they, they gave peanut to babies on a regular basis. And, you know, the other group was, was babies that didn't have any peanut. And there was an 80% reduction in the peanut allergy in the kids that were regularly having the peanut. And literally overnight guidelines all over the world changed to recommend to parents to, you know, introduce the common food allergens, including peanut, as soon as your baby is starting solids or developmentally ready. But that's really hard, you know, giving a baby a peanut or an almond or a cashew and they have no teeth, you know, it's sort of easier said than done. And when we were going through it with our own children, you know, the recommendations were as they are now is, you know, to give a quarter teaspoon or a half teaspoon of these things. And so we use things like, you know, peanut butter and almond butter and cashew butter. Um, but what we found was those were pretty difficult to give to our kids. They didn't mix into foods very well. They're not very palatable to a baby and they're very expensive. <laughs> yes. You know, we, we just thought there's got to be an easier way. And, and so we thought, you know, the allergens in their powdered form, no added salt, sugar, preservatives is just an easy way for parents to, you know, mix it into anything. And, it, you know, it doesn't, you can be on baby led weeding and it, it doesn't matter. It mixes into anything and everything. And so we thought it would just be an easier way for parents to do it. You know, we found it hard as parents. And, you know, if the guidelines say to use a quarter teaspoon or a half teaspoon to introduce these foods, I've never used a quarter teaspoon in my life. You know, like, <laughs> I don't even know where to find a quarter teaspoon in the, you know, in the cupboard. So, uh, you know, if it's too hard for me, you know, as a doctor who knows the guidelines, you know, for, for busy parents that have a lot on their minds and a, a lot on the go, you know, it's just a, an unnecessary barrier, we felt. Absolutely. And I mean, the proof is in the pudding. And this is why we love talking to you as medical professional. And, you know, I love it in my medicine career is there is so much research backed and you can really see the results. And this is why the guidelines change to reflect that. And you can have that reassurance that, okay, well, it has been tested, it has been trialed, and there are some really positive results from it. So this is how we do it. And this is how we lower those allergens later in life and yeah it's incredible and I totally agree I definitely was not interested in buying peanut butter cashew butter almond butter like I was not interested in having 10 different spreads in my cupboard when Michael and you know and then obviously feeding them the like paste type stuff is also as you said not very palatable for them so incredible that you've brought it out in the way that you have a lot of thought has gone into it and so what would you say are three kind of most common food allergens or, you know, most seen in children and how can they typically manifest in those early days? Yeah, so I guess the culprits we always think of are peanut, dairy, egg, the tree nuts. And the thing with the immune system and, and the tricky thing about allergies is it can be very unpredictable. So an allergic reaction can be, you know, as subtle as, you know, a simple rash or hives or, or wheels that we're all familiar with, um, or it could be, you know, the swelling around the eyes or the lips or the tongue, or it can manifest as anaphylaxis, with, which in children can be, you know, labored breathing, can make them look very pale and be floppy and have a change in their level of consciousness. Um, it can cause vomiting, uh, diarrhea, um, 
you know, fortunately, nothing a parent would ever would ever miss. And I think that that's something that, you know, is important for us at Taste Bubs is, you know, we don't want to contribute to the fear around allergies. And, you know, I think that's in part, um, you know, why parents are so weary about introducing the common allergens is this fear of their child, you know, dying of anaphylaxis. Mm, yeah. And, you know, anaphylaxis, you know, it is life-threatening. People do die of anaphylaxis, but that risk is very, very low. Even with allergy rates skyrocketing over the last 20 or 30 years, you know, the, the, the risk of dying from anaphylaxis is very, very low. But, you know, as well as I know from your clinical work that, you know, anaphylaxis is a real thing and it's a real risk and, and parents understandable for them to have a real fear about that, myself in included. And, and so what we want to try and do as a brand is, you know, make early introduction as comfortable and, and worry-free as possible so that, you know, when your child does go off to childcare, like for the, you know, for the first few months, or they're going to birthday parties, or they're going to school camp, parents can just have that one less worry knowing that they've been exposed to all these foods and their risk of having a reaction is very low. And I would just like to put a little bit more reassurance out there. I've been in um, as a paramedic for eight years, and I've seen two episodes of anaphylaxis, and I've worked in various locations all over New South Wales, and neither of them have been pediatric. So I can second that. Yeah, it absolutely is life-threatening, but it is also, as you said, not as common as it kind of maybe appears on the surface. And then a second thing to that, I think a lot of parents miss, and this is something I have seen quite a lot, is that ingested things like, you know, food, vomiting is a sign of a allergy or a kind of a more severe allergy. And I think a lot of people do think of the hives and they think of the swelling and they think of those, those really common things, but they do tend to forget that severe vomiting is a sign of, you know, an allergy to that. Definitely. And, and because the symptoms are such a spectrum, it, it does make it really difficult to counsel parents on, you know, what to do in the context of, you know, after they've had a reaction and, and what foods they should avoid. And, you know, it is really tricky. And, you know, it, and, and for the for the listeners out there that have children with allergies, you know, who are likely on a very long wait list to see an allergist, um, you know, this is exactly why, um, you know, it's because it is difficult to make recommendations. And there is a little bit of trial and error and food challenges, as we call them, um, to, to really pinpoint what the allergic reaction was. And, and that was part of the reason why we designed taste bubs, as it is as individual allergens so that you know what we find as doctors when we see these patients in clinic is you know a child will have an allergic reaction and it will be to a food that has a number of different potential allergens in it and as a result the parents just stop all of the common allergens and you know the children end up developing several allergies because they're not regularly consuming these foods so you know, even though our product is a means to introduce the allergens early in the right amount in the right way, if a child does have a reaction, let's say to our cashew powder, you know, at least the parents can go to their GP or to their pediatrician and say that, you know, my child's had cashew and they've had a reaction, not my child's had a reaction to this food, but it could have been cashew and it could have been almond and, you know, it could have been sesame because it was all baked into one cookie. Um, <laughs> it, it sort of helps delineate what the culprit allergen is so that parents can at least continue to give all the other allergens on a regular basis. And so how do you suggest that it is introduced allergens? So say a child has never had cashew before and they're introducing, you know, in the powdered form with your pack, what is the, you know, kind of standard regime? Should it just be a one-off and see? or should they kind of do a couple of days in a row? 
the reality is, is this, the science hasn't told us yet. Um, so the studies that have been done, you know, the foods were introduced early, but they were given often. And we don't know, you know, how much of the food and how often a baby needs to eat a food uh, as in, you know, once a week, twice a week, three times per week. And, and for how long, you know, be that one month or three months or six months in order to have that lifelong reduction um, in food allergy risk. And that's something that we want to study at Taste Bub. So at the moment, what we're recommending is that it doesn't matter what order you go in, as long as you just have one allergen per day when you're first starting out. Um, so, you know, on a Monday, you might have a cashew um, powder mixed in with, you know, any baby food. And on a Tuesday, you might have peanuts. And on a Wednesday, you might have sesame. Um, but then on a Thursday, you know, you, you think that your baby's food would pair nicely with a peanut again. Well, then, you know, you can go back to peanut and it, 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 it really doesn't matter at this stage. And the great thing about running a business with your friend, who's also a doctor is, you know, if the science changes and the guidelines change, like taste bubs will change, you know, like the only person that we answer to is, is ourselves. And, you know, what's more important than selling product is, you know, making the world a better place and reversing this trend of, of food allergies. So, you know, if we do this podcast again in a year and, and a study has been done that shows that you need to have the allergen three times in a week, well, you betcha <laughs> taste buds will be three times per week for each allergen. Well, you put your foot in it, August 2024, <laughs> we're doing an updated allergen <laughs> interview. <laughs> So if my child does have a moderate, say, reaction to cashews on a, a particular occasion, how long should I then wait before reintroducing? Say, you know, it's just a moderate reaction. You've got the hives. There's no airway involvement. Um, how long should you generally, I know it's very variable, but wait before reintroducing and trying again? So it's, that's such a good question. And, and this is probably the biggest challenge that we have um, in, in our clinics is, it's so difficult to say because, you know, you can have a very mild reaction um, and then have a severe reaction on your next exposure, or you may have no reaction on your next exposure and the exposure after that, you have a severe reaction. And, and so the immune system is a little bit funny like that. It can be very difficult to predict. And, you know, as a result, it's difficult to give a sort of blanket recommendation for, you know, all parents in all circumstances. Um, and really, it has to be on a case by case basis. Um, and, and so really what what is recommended is, you know, if your child has any reaction whatsoever, um, you know, to try and see your GP as soon as you can and, and, and really be referred along to, you know, an allergy service to look at, at testing and, and counseling. Because, you know, allergy services, you know, they don't just come with, you know, allergist immunologists. They also come with allergy dietitians and specialist nurses that can really help counsel and guide parents along. And, and sometimes it is the recommendation to, you know, try the food again a few days later, but more often than not, it's um, okay, let's do this in a controlled environment and, and bring your child in for a food challenge where, you know, you come into to the clinic and you have a bit of a boring morning where your child has a little bit of peanut butter or what have you. <laughs> or a taste bud sachet and, and you sort of watch and wait. So it, it's, it's so, so difficult. And, you know, every parent's sort of comfort level is a little bit different. And yeah. I guess from a recommendation perspective, sort of on a case by case basis. And, and, you know, what we wouldn't want is, you know, for someone to have had a reaction and then, you know, it's, it's Christmas Eve and everyone's had a glass of wine and then they decide to give their child the allergen again. And it's, a bit, it's a bit of bad timing. And Pick your days. As a paramedic, you've probably seen a few bad timing things where you think, geez, why did you decide to do this on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve or in the middle of the night, you know? 
always the middle of the night. Everyone likes to try new things in the middle of the night. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, funny you say that because I think from, I don't know if I do myself a disservice from a medical background as a parent, um, Macklin has tried every and all foods. And actually just the other day we had some pad thai and she got a little rush around her mouth. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then we tried her on cashews two days later. Um, again, like she'd ha- she'd had all this before and she got a rush around her mouth. I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. Maybe I'll try again tomorrow. And, you know, I, I have the knowledge and I know what to do. And I, I know I know a mild, moderate and severe reaction. I've seen it many a times. But yeah, I, as a parent, the first thing would not be to think, to, okay, I need to book an appointment. So it's really nice to hear that should be your option. And parents always should go and get that that medical opinion. And because I think a lot of pa- parents are also scared that they're, they're overreacting or they're overdoing it. But I think if you're not medically trained, or even if you are, I suppose it is always best to go and get a, a second opinion. So definitely, maybe maybe we'll try Macklin on cashews again, and then book into the TV. Yeah, and look, I think that you know the experience of I guess what we want the message we want to get out to parents is you know it is important to continue having these foods, but you want to do that in the most the safest and most supportive way, and you know having the GP involved you know, it's just such a, a great way to do that. And then it's a bit more of a sort of calculated approach. Absolutely. And so I know you um, mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, there was this idea floating around that maybe genetics were involved in pediatric allergens. Do you have any insight into kind of what role genetics does play in pediatric allergies? Yeah, equal parts. So, you know, specific genes haven't been isolated, but, you know, we know that children that have a sibling or a parent with a food allergy are at much higher risk of having food allergy. Um, and, and same goes, you know, there's other things that make children high risk, you know, uh, be it eczema or hay fever or asthma. Um, and there's certainly a genetic component of that. So, you know, and that's something that we can do nothing about, but we know, you know, what contributes to developing allergies, you know, equal, if not more, um, than, than the genetic side of things, than the family risk of it is, is what we call the environmental risks. And, you know, there's lots of theories out there, uh, about, you know, how much the environmental risk contributes to developing lifelong food allergies. But that is something that, you know, as parents and as doctors, we can impact in our children. Probably the most, the most robust, I suppose, um, environmental thing that we can do is expose children to the allergens early and give them often. And, and that's part of a theory when the body is exposed to the allergens through the skin or through the respiratory tract for the first time, which we're seeing much more now because of conditions like eczema and the fact that we cleanse our babies a lot more than we used to historically, especially in the era of COVID and child cares. And, you know, I'm sure my children wash their hands far more than, than I ever did as a child. <laughs> I probably washed my hands far more than my, my parents did when they were children. And you know, way back then, you know, food allergy wasn't really a thing. Yeah. And, you know, there's allergens around us everywhere. Um, and, it, it, you know, what can't be seen with the naked eye can still be recognized by the body's immune system, especially through the skin. And when the immune system is primed in that way, and that, you know, you're exposed to peanut through the skin, the body recognizes it in the same way that it, it does, you know, a bee sting venom or a parasite. And so it's actually a very similar immune response to when you have an allergic reaction. 
But when the body is exposed to an allergen for the first time through the healthy gut, it recognizes it as just a nutritious food and breaks down all the proteins mm. appropriately. And, you know, you get all the proteins and fats and carbohydrates from these lovely foods. And, you know, your body doesn't recognize them, um, you know, as a nasty parasite, which is effectively what's happening when you do have a, an allergic reaction. That's such an interesting way to put it. And I think that really takes away the fear because there is so much fear around introducing allergens and allergic reactions. So that is a really a nice, simple, reassuring way to put it. I think that people can forget, no, these foods are nutritious. They're really good for us. And it doesn't, you know, they're, they're not always going to have an allergy. You know, these are the foods that we're meant to be eating and meant to be reacting well to. Totally, totally, totally. And so let's chat dairy allergy. I know this is a, a very common one these days, just from speaking with, um, you know, friends of kids and stuff. And Macklin was had a dairy intolerance when she was little. So um, when Maddie was breastfeeding, she had to be off all dairy um, through breastfeeding. And so if a child kind of has a, a mild to moderate intolerance in this first year of life are there any considerations when moving away from breast milk or formula onto cow's milk after that 12 months mm -hmm. yeah it's um and and dairy is so there's three different you know d you can have a dairy allergy you know in the same immunological process that happened with you know a peanut allergy and an egg allergy but you can also have an intolerance to the lactose which is the sugar in yes. in the dairy or you can have a different immune phenomenon that we call cow's milk protein intolerance. And that, that can be a different type of immune response than your sort of run-of-the-mill allergies. Now, the great thing is with when it comes to you know, cow's milk protein intolerance and, and dairy allergy, most, almost all babies grow out of it. But what we see with cow's milk protein intolerance in, you know, in the really little ones who, who are still breastfeeding is that often they can get blood and mucus in the stool. And so the recommendation is that, you know, parents should really continue to breastfeed, but as much as possible, eliminate all dairy from the diet, which <laughs> if you're a black coffee drinker like me is no big deal. But if you're a, you know, full fat cream drinking coffee drinker like my wife, that would be like an impossibility, <laughs> you know. Oh, Maddie was not too happy the first year of, of Macklin having this intolerance because, yeah, she was oh, she just does not like vegan chocolate. She does, and dairy is in a lot of Absolutely. things. And I take back what I said earlier. We actually don't know if she what sort of allergy she had. If it was dairy or CMPI or whatever, um, but maybe you could check. Like, how would have we have gone about? finding that exact thing out because the pediatrician just kind of said you know no dairy products blanket yeah. is that kind of a common thing at the moment there's no good test so you know we if there's blood and mucus in the poo you know we feel pretty confident that it's cow's milk protein intolerance especially if it's after six weeks of age yeah um, but there's no good test for that um and you know where with the allergies, you know, you might see a bit more of a rash with the skin, but you can also see a bit of, you know, vomiting and sloppy poos, and there's a lot of overlap in the symptoms. But irrespective, the management is the same in that, you know, you abstain from having any dairy, uh, be it in breast milk or if you're having formula. And, you know, when it comes to depending on how old the baby is, you know, if they're still at an age where they're being exclusively breastfed or they're exclusively on formula, there's a few different things that we can do. So, you know, breastfeeding mums can, you know, abstain from having any dairy in their diet, which is sort of the, the, the best recommendation because you still get all the other wonderful benefits of breastfeeding. And don't forget that, you know, breastfed babies have lower rates of food allergies as well. 
Um, but that's not possible for, for every parent. Um, and formulas nowadays are, you know, they're remarkably, remarkably good. So, you know, you, if you are, let's say, a, a family that's formula feeding your baby, and you're finding that the cow's milk based formula is, um, you know, causing irritation on the gut and causing a lot of symptoms to the to your baby, you can stay within the sort of cow's milk formula, which are probably the most nutritionally complete. But basically what they do is, is you can go to what's called a, a hydrolyzed formula where they take those cow's milk proteins and they break it down. So if you think of the proteins like a building with windows and doors and, you know, window shades and the whole bit, that's sort of like your normal cow's milk. And then you can partially break those down. We call that partially hydrolyzed formula. And you can think of that as like a house, but with no windows and no doors and just a shell. So slightly smaller proteins. And then if that's still causing issue, you can break those proteins down even more and into their individual bricks, their individual amino acids. And those are called amino acid formulas. And those are on special prescription that we sometimes have to use. Now you can use rice milk formulas and soy milk formulas and to a lesser extent, goat's milk formula, but often children that do have the cow's milk protein intolerance can have a similar reaction with the, with the goat milk formula. So it can be really, really difficult, but irrespective, almost all babies outgrow that. And we, we rely on our dietitian colleagues to, you know, help guide parents towards introducing dairy when you're sort of, you know, getting on to your solids journey and, and nearing one year and, and we have what's called a milk ladder and they use a milk ladder and guide parents through it. And you sort of graduate into different foods containing dairy, starting with, you know, things that have dairy baked into it and then hard cheeses and then yogurts and these sorts of things. When it comes to dairy allergy, it's it's a little bit less straightforward. You know, lots of children who are, you know, in preschool years continue to have, you know, dairy allergy in the same way that children have peanut allergy. But fortunately, it's one of the foods that most children also outgrow that allergy. Yeah. I think you basically just described like our first year of life, you know, <laughs> Macklin, you know, had the blood and mucus in her stools and then eventually Maddie got to build up to the milk ladder and then now she's um, just drinking cow's milk as her bottles and, and all is well and good in the world. And, no. you know, Maddie can eat chocolate and cookies again. But <laughs> Making up for it, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. She is. Um, so, yeah, that is really interesting. And thank you. And I think that is um, as I said, among friends and stuff, one of the biggest and most spoken about in in the little in the little bubs. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's a re- it's a really big problem, and mm. you know because there's no good test for it. You know, it does involve a little bit of trial and error, and it, it it's a lot of trips to the doctor, and you know even when you do change, um, you know when mums change their diet when they're breastfeeding or you change formulas, it's it's not a light switch moment. You know, it can take time for the inflammation in the gut to settle down and it can take time for the milk proteins to stop flowing into the breast milk. So it's a really, really tough journey for parents. Um, and it's not easy. Um, and it's already a difficult time, you know, everyone's sleeping poorly and you've, you know, got an unsettled baby and, you know, there's nothing (laughs) more horrible than seeing, you know, blood and mucus in a nappy. You just feel dreadful about it. Just add it to the mix. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, I feel your pain. I'm sure along with many of your listeners and, and many of my patients who have been through the same <laughs> journey, it's, it's really awful. Yeah. And so I know people say that allergies to foods can occur on the, you know, the sixth, seventh occurrence, you know, uh, repeat occurrences and exposures to food. When can we as parents, you know, kind of stop worrying about that they're going to have a reaction to a particular food? <laughs> You're right. I mean, it, I, I was having dinner with a pediatrician colleague of mine, and when he was 45 years old, he developed anaphylaxis to avocado, and he'd been—he's a—he's a Queenslander, and he'd been what? eating avocados his entire life. 
And, and so these risks are, are always there, but we have a few sort of rule of thumb things as, as doctors. And, and so what we sort of tell parents is that, you know, if children have, um, you know, consumed uh, food, you know, on at least three occasions without any issue, you can feel, you know, pretty assured that, that it's unlikely that they'll develop an allergy. It's always possible, though. Never say never. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, w- when it comes to how much of that food you need to eat, that's also a bit of an unknown. And our, our rule of thumb is is four grams of the protein. So let's say, for example, that, you know, you, your child has had a reaction and you end up in, in, in a food challenge clinic where you come in. What we tend to do is get a child to have at least four grams of the protein itself. So, you know, if if that was peanut, for example, in most peanut butters, one tablespoon would have about five grams of um, of, of protein. And so if your baby could or child or teenager could, you know, tolerate a full tablespoon of peanut butter that has five grams of protein, then, you know, you're pretty safe. Perfect. Amazing. I think this has been the most informative uh, 35 minutes <laughs> of my parenting <laughs> parenting career. It's um, it's incredible. And what you and Dr. Mariam are doing is so helpful to so many parents. And um, I know you guys have an inkling onto what the impact is, but I don't think you know the actual impact that you are going to have in, in years to come on all of these parents. So, I just want to thank you again for being able to share this free information out to all the parents out there. It is incredible to have it all in one place. And just to reiterate, Dr. Rob and Dr. Mariam have an incredible company called Taste Bubs. It is a way to introduce seven of the most common allergens to to your little ones. So if you haven't already, get your hands on a starter pack because they are game changing. (laughs) And thank you, Dr. Rob, for coming on and having a chat with me today. I really, really appreciate it, as will all of our listeners, I'm sure. Amazing. Thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine. We have a discount code for you if you want to get your hands on Dr. Rob and Dr. Mariam's Pediatric Allergen Starter Kit. Then you can use the code 2MUMS10 to save yourself some money. We hope you all enjoy and good luck with introducing allergens to your bubs. Thank you all so much for listening today. If you'd like to connect with us and stay up to date with our day-to-day life as well as future episodes, you can do so on our socials at those.2mums. We absolutely love bringing you these conversations each week. So if you love it too, please subscribe and leave us a review. Chat to you all next week. Bye.